Christ. I want you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Mark, Matthew chapter 25, and I do say this with all sincerity, not, uh, but that I literally got up this morning prepared. I talked with Pastor what I was going to preach on tonight. I felt settled in my spirit, and I'm still going to preach that message some other time, Brother Jonathan. I'm still going to preach that message some other time. But I was all prepared in my heart to speak something and to just, uh, you know, something that I had preached in other places and uh, ministered to you along that lines, and it would have been okay to do so. But the Lord woke me up this morning, and he gave me a, a track to run on the, tonight and some ideas and some thoughts that I've actually never preached before. And, uh, and uh, by the way, last night was a fresh message too. And, uh, and praise God, how many know it's good to have fresh manna, amen? Praise God. But as an evangelist, uh, if you understood this, as an evangelist, we don't think it's really great until we preach at least 25 times. You know, come on now. And uh, it, just, it just gets good, come on. But uh, it, I believe there's a word from God tonight. How many believe you're gonna hear a word from God tonight? Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm going to stick a little closer to my notes, though, because uh, God downloaded me with some ideas that uh, uh, challenge my own heart. How many know it's good to be challenged with your own preaching? Yeah. Amen. And it says in Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read the whole text uh, so that we understand what God is wanting to say. Matthew 25, verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered to them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, the other he gave two, and the other one he gave one, to each according to their own ability. Everybody say, according to their own ability. Immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, he who had two talents gained two more. But he who received one went and dug in the ground, and he hid the Lord's money. Everybody say, dug in the ground. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. Everybody say, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And he also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you've delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you, uh, faithful servant, uh, you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. You reaped where you have not sown, gathered where you have not scattered, and I was afraid. Everybody say afraid. afraid. And I went and hit the talent in the ground. Look, here's what's yours. And the Lord said unto him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown, gathered where I had not scattered seed. So you ought, so you ought, hallelujah. It says you ought to have deposited my money at least with the bankers at my coming, and I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talents from him, give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more, everyone who has, everybody say has, more will be given. And he, he will have an abundance, but he who does not have, everybody say does not have, even what he has 
will be taken away. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Look up here for a moment. We're going to pray in a second. But how many know the Lord uh, that there are levels of understanding, different levels of understanding? And uh, tonight I believe that God wants to open a new level, uh, some new levels of understanding. And I pray that God would help us to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to the church. You know, Jesus, many times, I've been in camping in the book of Matthew for now two months. And I've been challenged by the book of Matthew in my own life. And, uh, and it's been touching my heart. And this is the first time on two months that I've preached out of the book of Matthew. But it has been challenging my own life. And because how many know the preacher has to grow too? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> but uh, Jesus would uh, teach and he would preach. And it says in Matthew 13, one day that he, he told a whole bunch of stories all day long. And uh, he did it because he was trying to get people to shift their hearts so that their eyes and their ears could be opened and they could understand what the gospel is saying to them. And so I love that because how many know God wants to do a shift in our life? And then, then we find out that many times Jesus would teach for an hour or two and he'd stop and say, he that has an ear... Let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to the churches. And I could imagine people were like sitting there or standing there thinking, what's he talking about? I got ears. We all got ears. But Jesus was not talking about their physical ears. He was talking about spiritual ears that they could hear and they could understand. Are you with me still? Hallelujah. And Ephesians 1 verse 18, Paul the apostle prays, and he prays a prayer that the mind of our understanding would be open. That's the King James. But in many translations, it says that the heart of our understanding might be opened. In other words, there are some things that God wants to speak to our heart that our head might have to catch up with. Are you with me right now? Because how many know when God speaks to you, uh, sometimes when God speaks to you, it doesn't always make sense. And it's not that God is incapable of uh, communing with you or communicating to you, but uh, sometimes our minds are not in the right realm and our, we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And there are times when our heart, God speaks to us. It can be just as simple as when the offering was taken. Maybe you were there and God was saying, give this amount, and your head was going, no way. And come on now. Or, you know, the Spirit was saying, give this much, and you were saying, well, I got bills. And you did it anyways, but your head is still trying to get your mind around what your heart just did. Come on now. Have you ever had times like that? And we, and we do understand that that's how God works. He speaks to our heart. And so uh, Paul the Apostle prayed that the mind of our understanding would be open. Can I say this? That if, if, if every time you have to understand everything that God's saying to you, then you will be hindered from moving to new levels. You'll be restricted from moving into new veins of truth and into new growth in the Lord God. Hallelujah. Because there's times when God will speak to our hearts and your mind will have to catch up. Come on now. Are you still with me? Praise God. And, and somebody said, well, you know, I, I can't just follow God if it doesn't make sense in my head. Well, you know, how many know that sometimes when God says something, the more you try to make sense, the more or less peace you have. But Jesus promises that he'll give us a peace that doesn't make sense. 
He said, I'll give you a peace that, that passes all understanding. Come on now. Hallelujah. And so there are places where our spirit is moving and God's speaking to us and our mind's just going to have to catch up. I'm not saying God is, 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 uh, is un- irrational, but how many know his ways are still higher than our ways? And there are times when our brain is just going to have to grow into it. Allie. There is a knowing in your heart. There is a believing, uh, trusting in God. There is a blessing that comes when you choose to trust God in your heart, even when your head says, I don't know how it's going to happen. You're still with me right now. Praise God. And that's the life of being a spirit-led Christian. Hallelujah. And so uh, we need to uh, rise to a new anointing that God can anoint our seeing and our hearing. Hallelujah. So that we can be shifted into a new level. Hallelujah. And that we can fully understand what God has for us. And that may mean that our mind might have to catch up. But praise God, I'm ready to go with what God speaks to my heart. Hallelujah. That may mean that your eyes might have to catch up with what your faith already sees. Come on now. now. But I'm ready and I'm prepared to move. Everybody say shift and moved into that level. Hallelujah. I want you to pray right now. Let's just close our eyes and pray. Father, I thank you right now for your word to have free course in this place tonight. I thank you, Lord God, that uh, we tear down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I come against every objection, every argument, every high-mindedness, every spirit of pride, every unteachable spirit, Lord God, everything that would try to exalt itself. We take take our thoughts captive tonight, Lord God, and we create a hostage situation for our own minds that we will hear uh, what you're saying to our heart and to our spirits so that we could see right and we could hear right and that we could move and walk in new levels that you have for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody agreed with that prayer, said yes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 14, we see that God speaks to our heart and is showing us that he's made investment in our lives. Now, the kind of investments we're talking about is not the ability to play piano or to sing a song or to play a sport. But God has made spiritual investments in our life so that we can become something, that we can be used for his glory, and that he can, that he can bless us with, and that we can expand ourselves with. And so we understand that there's not one person in this room that God hasn't made an investment in your life. And so we know that, you know, we need to just stop and you need to really, we need to change the way we talk over our lives because God is not calling you. He's already called you and he's not choosing you. He's already chosen you. Come on now. And he's not anointing you. He's already anointed you. Come on now. And he's not giving you faith. He's already giving you the measure of faith. Are you still with me right now? Hallelujah. And so the Lord uh, system is different than ours, but our, 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 we need to understand that God makes a level of investment in our lives according to our ability. Somebody say according to our ability. And to one he gave five thousand. Let's just say he gave five thousand dollars. To another he gave two thousand dollars. Another gave one thousand dollars. And so he invested in them according 
to their own ability. Praise the Lord. Now, to the one who gave 1,000, you know that the one who gave 1,000 went and buried his talent in the sand like a common squirrel. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, the one who gave 1,000, he didn't really think that that uh, steward had much ability, but he had to admit that he had some ability, and he placed a talent in that person's hand. Can I say tonight, there's not one person in this room that God hasn't given ability to tonight. There's not one person in this room that God hasn't given giftings and investments in your life. Hallelujah. And there's not one person in this room that's not valuable and important to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That every person is important and every person has an ability. Hallelujah. I reminded of a, a, a little boy that I uh, worked with when I was directing a camp in, in Perry Sound. I worked at a camp from age 13 to 22, and I was a, you started off as a maintenance boy and then grew and became a canoe instructor and then a, you know, water skiing director and then, then I became, uh, you know, the, the program director and then I became the director, assistant director. And uh, we had uh, various uh, responsibilities, but we had 120 staff and we had 300 campers. And, and uh, there was, uh, you know, mostly everybody, especially when I, in my last couple of years, I was the assistant director of that camp, and the pastor would go on the road uh, uh, preaching, the director would go on the road preaching and raising money, and I'd be left there to run 120 staff and 300 campers, and how many know that's a lot of testosterone? That's a lot of energy, and most of them were under the age of 20, and I'm under the age of 22, and, uh, and so, you know, how many know there was a lot of fights break out? Come on now. And uh, sometimes I got some severe bruising trying to break up a few fights. But praise God, there was a few people that worked for me that were bigger than me. Hallelujah. Praise God. But there was a little boy that came up to camp. His name was Peter Puck. We used to call him Peter Puckalo. And he would come to camp, and he was a, uh, he, he was a, cha a challenged uh, young boy. Uh, he couldn't put two words together. He couldn't play any of the sports. He couldn't go water skiing. He couldn't canoe by himself. He couldn't play soccer. He, he could hardly do anything. But when a fight broke out, he had an anointing on his life. He could go up, and he could just squeeze himself in the middle of it, and he could take his hand, put his head up against one of the kids' chests, and start crying, and he would break up a fight. Mostly, the guys would just get ooked out and gooked out, and they'd just and walk away in disgust, but he knew how to break up a fight. And there was many times when there was a fight going on, and I'd look around and say, where's Peter Puckalo? But praise God, that just means that everybody has something that they can do for God. Hallelujah. Everybody has some kind of talent that they can do for God. I remember the song, uh, Take Up Thy Cross, and follow me. Anybody remember that? I hear my blessed Savior call. How, you know, uh, how can I make a lesser sacrifice when Jesus gave his all? Well, one of the verses, and of course, there's two sets of verses that go with that song, so it's very confusing. But one of the verses of that song is this. If just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. I love that. Because God's not asking you to do what he hasn't given you the power to do. Come on now. He's not asking you to do something that he hasn't given you the anointing to do it. Hallelujah. But everybody is valuable and everybody's important and everybody has something and everybody has a cup of water. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. And you can do something. Praise God, and you can be something. And God has invested in your life talents and abilities. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'll never forget uh, uh, one of the dear men in my life, and his wife was my secretary at 
at church, but he was the, the greeter at my church. And I'm sure our church grew from 30 to 300 people, and uh, that's as big as I could get it to grow. But praise God, we're in a town of 5,000 people, so that was pretty good. And, uh, but, but one of the greatest reasons why the church grew, I believe, was not because of my preaching. It was because I had a greeter, a doorkeeper at the house of the Lord, that some people said, I just came to see Brother Lyle smile. And I remind them every time I just talked to them yesterday on the phone. And because uh, I talk to them every week, they're just beautiful people. And I just reminded him about how he had such an impact upon our church because he was a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Paul the apostle said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. In other words, if I could be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, and that's all I had to do, then I would do it to the best of my ability, and I would hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on now. So whatever you're called to do, you ought to do it with all your heart because God's made an investment in your life. Praise God. And so it's for you to discover exactly what it is. Praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. You're still with me. Praise God. And so uh, we see in this story that uh, the master goes away, the master comes back. And when he comes back, he comes to the stewards, and the first one comes back with his 5,000, said, I got 5,000, you gave me 5,000, I've invested it, and I've made five more. And the other one came back with two, and he said, I, you gave me two, and, and I invested that two, and I came back with two more. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And Jesus looked at both of them, and he said to them both, well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Now listen to me. If there's any words you ever, I said this last night, I'll say it again. If there's any words you want to ever live for, it's to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If there's any accolade, if there's any praise that you ever want to hear, you want to hear it from the lips of Jesus. Hallelujah. You want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's movie makers and they get their Oscars. Come on now. And there's songwriters and, and musicians and they get their Geminis. Come on now. And there's Olympians and they get their medals. Praise God. But I'll tell you something. Paul said, I don't box as one who beats the air and I'm not running just to say I'm in a race. But I press towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on now. Praise God. It's great when you have a whole church like that, 2,000 people, and, and you have to say, sit down, i got to finish my message. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God bless you. Hallelujah. But we want to hear the words, well done. I was in, I was in Rhode Island uh, two years ago at uh, the Assemblies of God Bible College where we graduated in North Point, uh, Rhode Island. It's now in, it's just outside of Boston. They've got a beautiful campus. And uh, without knowing it, we were in the service and, uh, and they gave out an award. They gave out the Alumni of the Year Award. And uh, my wife and I received Alumni of the Year. And if you do the calculations, uh, it was 31 years since we graduated. And that means that there was 500 graduates. And so uh, over the 31 years, there was 31 Alumni of the Year. And somehow we made it into that equation. And I was very humbled and actually shocked and humbled that they would give that award to me. And I'm not saying this to boast or brag, but the immediate thought that came to my mind and even came out of my lips so much that Sharon said, you better stop saying that, otherwise you'll look ungrateful, was I hope that I hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And then we were over in OBFF, the CFCM conference in, last year in 2014, I think it was in the month of May or June or whatever, and uh, unbeknownst to me, in the middle of the service, they had an achievement award, and uh, they gave to my wife and I an achievement award for the souls that we reached and their dedication to the th things of God. And it's great to be acknowledged by your peers, and it's humbling, really it is. But the first thing that came to my mind, and I said it to a few people, until my wife said, you better stop saying that because it sounds like you're ungrateful. But the first thing that came to my mind was, thank God for the award, but I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. For all the accolades of man, and you can stack up all the hardware, it could line the walls, but it ain't going to mean nothing if you don't hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. I'm running to reach 100. Like the old songwriter said, 99 and a half won't do. She knows it. <laughs> I'm running to make a hundred, ninety-nine and a half won't do. Yes, I'm running to make a hundred, ninety-nine and a half won't do. That's how it goes. I think they sing it down in Jamaica or something like that. I don't know. Praise God. But I'm, I'm not looking to just, I don't want Jesus to look at me and just say, gee, well, you made it. I was worried about you. But I want to hear the words, well done. But can I tell you something? You need to understand this, that I don't believe those words, well done, are necessarily going to be handed out to every person. That the words, well done, even in this portion of Scripture, were not given to somebody. It wasn't like Jesus just saying, you're nice, and you're wonderful, and I really like you, and you're cool. But he was actually saying, well done, good and faithful, to somebody who had done well, had been good, and had been faithful. Hallelujah. Because how many know words actually mean something? Pastor and I were sitting at dinner today over at Spiro's. Praise God for Spiro's. Hallelujah. And, uh, but we were sitting there at, in, in, at the restaurant, and I said, tell me some words that are totally useless, that totally have no, hardly any meaning. And he said, well, one I can think of is love, because love has so much profound meaning, and yet the word love is used so loosely. Come on now. And then we thought of the word awesome, and he brought up the word awesome, and I thought, well, that's true, because when I was in Bible college, if anybody in our whole school ever used the word awesome in any other line of thought other than in terms of God, it was like blasphemy. I remember that. And then I felt pricked in my heart tonight because somebody asked me how I was doing at the back. And he said, how you doing, Brother Mark? And I said, awesome. And I thought, that word means nothing now. Come on now. But how many know words mean something? And somehow we have to shift ourselves. Come on now. We have to shift ourselves into a place where we come up to a higher value system. If there's anything that I have discovered in my personal study over the last two months in the book of Matthew is that God has a value system that is so much higher than what I have been taught and what I've been living. It's true. I've, to, I've told every pastor I've been on the road, I've been, I've been convicted. Come on. Not that I have sin in my life, Come on. 
but I've just been convicted about my life that God has a higher standard, that words actually mean something. Hallelujah. And when Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant to, to these people, he was not giving them a, a, a pat on the back and, and being a, 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 a plastic or being a, a fictitious or being phony. Come on now. He was being real. He was actually just acknowledging what they were, good and faithful servants. Hallelujah. In the book of Romans, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Over in 2 Corinthians, it says this, it says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Hallelujah. But moreover, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. Hallelujah. So words have some kind of meaning. I've got 25 employees, full-time employees over in Africa, and I just send over the, the rents, and the, I got three compounds. I send over the rents, and I send over the, the, the salaries. And I got some, you know, over the years, I probably had 200 different people work for me. And not everybody has come to work for me has stayed because some of them got the idea that they're just on this beautiful uh, work trip for God and they're doing something for God and they're not working for man, they're working for God. And that's all right. I don't have the, any problem with that as long as they come up to God's standard because yes. it's higher than mine. But I sit with them at the beginning, and, uh, and I say, look, now if you can work for God, and that means you fulfill all your responsibilities here, that actually means if you work for God, you'll do a much better job than I'm asking you to do. And if you can't work for God, then work for the cause, because the cause is great. We're reaching souls and lives, and we're transferring people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But then I look at them right in the eye, and I said, if you can't work for God, and if you can't work for the cause, then you need to understand, you work for me. And if you can't work for me and do what I ask you to do, you're going to be fired. And my bishop, I was talking to him today, my bishop, my crusade coordinator, he's, uh, he's still been waiting for four weeks to get, a crusade, uh, to get a visa to come over and travel with me. And they're just dragging their heels. It cost me $150 a day to keep him over in Nairobi, Kenya. And I told him yesterday he's got to come home. But uh, praise God, hallelujah. And, uh, but I'm, I will pray that it, it comes through because I want him over here, hallelujah. But anyways, I, 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 I said to Bishop John, I said, you know, uh, th- this guy seems to have attitudes. And he's, he says, you know, they think you're hard. And I said, I said, they think I'm hard. Well, I give them five assignments and they do three and they want to hear the words well done. And I just say, you need to teach them that we have a different value system. They may be used to pretending they don't understand. They may be used to, come on now. They, I, no, don't get me wrong. I'm a lover. I love my people. I love my employees. I'm not having prejudice bone in my body. I give my life for my Africans, my friends, my family. They're my family. John is my employee, but he's my brother. I'd give my kidney for him. Come on now. I, I'd lay down my life for him. I, that's the truth now. But I understand this. I said that their, their value system is different because they do two things and they expect to hear the words well done, but my value system is different. If I give them five assignments, I want them to do five things. If they do those five assignments, then I'll say, hey, good job. But if they only do three out of the five, they ain't going to hear a good job from me. They're gonna, I'm going to say, what about those other two? 
because those other two things are important. Come on now. Are you still with me? And so, you know, we have a different value system. And so, but how many know God has a higher value system? Are you still with me right now? Come on now. And words actually mean something. And so when we talk about overcoming, for example, that actually means that word is awarded, if you will, to it's not a, it's not just a nice word that you give to encourage somebody. It's a word that you give for and you don't say it gee Millie you don't have a job and you're not sick and you're not disabled gee Millie you've come to church two days in a two Sundays in a row you've managed to put down your remote control you're a real overcomer you don't say that to Millie there's how many know that Millie is not an overcomer come on if your name's Millie don't get upset with me come on then. But the word overcomer belongs to those who overcome. And if you're going to be an overcomer, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit with you to help comfort you, hallelujah, and assist you along the journey. Come on now. Because when you overcome, the word overcomer belongs to people who stand up and fight and say, I'm going through, hallelujah. I'll go through the flood and I'll go through the fire. But bless God, I'm not going to drown and I'm not going to get burnt, hallelujah. I am an overcomer. And the word more than a conqueror doesn't, believe, doesn't belong to somebody who just, you know, you know, fights a little battle and sits down on the sidelines. But it belongs to somebody like David who after he killed Goliath could have stood up there and just held up his hands like this and, and got everybody to clap and applaud. But no, he went down in the camp of the enemy. He took, he took the, sheath, the sword from the sheath of Goliath. He cut off Goliath's head, stuck that head on top of his sword and embarrassed every single one of the Philistines. That's more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? Praise God, I'm going somewhere. Praise God, I'm running to make a hundred. Ninety-nine and a half won't do. Come on now. Praise God. Hallelujah. But praise God, it means something. Words mean something. And, and, and when we say, well done, good and faithful servant, this award, if this acknowledgement, if you will, is, a, is an acknowledgement that goes to people who are good and faithful. How many good and faithful people do we have in the house of the Lord tonight? Hallelujah. Our hearts are going to have to come up to a level where we understand, where our hearts are shifted to God's heavenly value system, where we come to a place and stand before God and we say, Lord, it's not about me, not what I want to do or where I want to go. For who am I that I should choose my way? The Lord will choose for me. Tis better far I know, so let him bid me go or stay. Hallelujah. I'm concerned about a church. A generation that's not raising up new preachers. Amen. I'm concerned in every place I've gone to, we haven't had the conversation here, but almost every place I go to across Canada, I ask how many people in your church are, are being raised up for the ministry. And invariably, mostly across Canada in our churches, whether it be at the Apostolic Church at Pentecost or the Pentecost Assembly of Canada or the Victory Churches or the Word Faith Churches or the OBFF Churches, the CFCM Churches or the APOC Churches or the FFCA or the, you know, XYZ Church, come on now, whatever it is, or the Independent Churches or the Independent Assemblies of God. I preach in about 13 different organizations and then some independent ones. Praise God. And it don't make no never minds me because it ain't the title that they got on the door it's what they got inside hallelujah praise god but when i go into the church invariably i'm finding out that mostly all that's been raised up for the ministry are pastor's kids yeah. 
Mostly that's what's happening. And my heart is burning inside and saying, where is a generation that will lay down their life for Jesus? Where is a people who will say more than just, God, you give me power to get wealth, but they'll understand the purpose for all the energy, the purpose for the anointing, the purpose for the riches, the purpose for the prosperity is so that God's covenant can be spread throughout all the earth. Now for two years I've been looking for a couple to go and live on my compound in Uganda. And I'm providing an opportunity that would, 30 years ago would have been an opportunity that anybody would have jumped for. And I find it hard to find quality people that are willing to go, that are willing to lay down their life, that are willing actually to say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Come on now, because we in North America have got into a, such a place of blessing and prosperity. I was in one town in Alberta, and the pastor looked at me, and he said, there's not one person in my congregation who makes less than $100 an hour. It wasn't a big church. But he said, that's not one person. And who wants to leave when you can make that much money? Come on now. Who wants to lay their life on the line? Come on now. Come on now. Are you still with me? Come on. Don't shout me down because I'm telling you the truth now. I'm concerned. Where is, the, where is the heart of sacrifice? Where is the place where we say, Lord, I humble myself and I commit myself. My parents were 49 years old when they picked up, sold everything they had and picked up everything they had and moved all the way over to Africa and left houses and lands and family so that they could spread the gospel throughout Zimbabwe and Zambia and build Bible colleges and start Bible churches. Hallelujah. And I'm glad they did because if they hadn't done what they did, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Now I wouldn't met the wife that I'm married to. Hallelujah. And so I believe that God is speaking to us and trying to show us that his value system is so much higher than our value system. Come on now. Because everything, a lot of the things that we're striving for and looking for when we die, they ain't coming with us. Come on now. Because I've never seen a hearse go down the street with a U-Haul behind it. Come on, Come on now. Somebody say, well, Brother Mark, are you against prosperity? No, get all you can. But understand, hallelujah, that God's value system is not in the almighty buck. Hallelujah. God's value system is souls. Hallelujah. God's value system is reaching the lost. God's value system is extending the kingdom. Hallelujah. And when you get to hell and you ain't taking your bank account or your investment account, come on now. I'm not against all that. I have some stocks and bonds myself. Hallelujah. Glory to God because my mama didn't raise no nut. (laughs) Hallelujah. But God's got a higher value system. Are you listening to me right now? And the words good and faithful belong to those who are good and faithful. You're still with me? Come on now. Hallelujah. Praise God. We laugh at the one who buried his head. He buried his, 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 uh, his head. He buried his head in the sand. He might have buried his head in the sand. He buried his talents in the sand. Come on now. He was oblivious to what God had for him. Hallelujah. And he buried his talent in the sand. And we laugh at him. But we would do well to examine our own heart and ask the Lord God, what is he placed in our hands? What talents and abilities has he given us and what are we doing with it we laugh at the one who placed who laid his hand who who put his talent in the sand when the master came up to him after the other two had heard the words well done he said here i have it lord 
I didn't lose a dime. I got, I got it all. It's right where I left it. Let me find it. And Lord, I even paid you a few compliments. You're tough. And you reap a harvest where you didn't sow. And I was afraid. And here it is, Lord. And we laugh at the guy who buried his talent in the sand. But I just want to point out to you, when, he retur- when the master returned, he didn't give back 60%. He didn't give back 70%. He didn't give back 80%. He didn't even give back 95%, but he gave back 100%. Are you still with me right now? You say, what's your point, preacher? My point is that sometimes when we look at our service towards the Lord, we pat ourselves on the back when we gave 60%. Or we pat ourselves on the back when we've given 80%. But I'll tell you something, every time I preach, since I preached my first message and I preached my first crusade in East Providence, no, in, in Rumsford, Rhode Island, and I came all the way down from Canada and drove all the way down there and studied and prayed and, and, sac- and got there and there was one preacher and one man in the crowd. And I looked at the preacher and said, what should I do? And the man piped up and said, Sonny, I drove an hour and a half to get here, and I'm going to drive an hour and a half to go home. At least I can listen to you for at least 45 minutes. (laughs) I learned to preach to one man for 45 minutes, hallelujah, or more, and give it everything I've got. And since that day, I've tried to give everything I've got. I never once, I tell you, honestly, before God, I've given it everything I've got every night. I've been sick, I've been tired, I've been exhausted sometimes, and yet tried to give everything because I realize right now there are lives at state. God is trying to shift your hearts and shift your minds into a commitment level that is higher than where you're at. Come on now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Mark. I said, thank you, Brother Mark. I said, thank you, Brother Mark. Because when I go, when I keep on going, you know me, I mean, you don't like what I have to say, but it's all right. But understand this, that we laugh, but this man gave 100%. And see, the master is, looks at this man, and he says something that's almost horrifying. He, says, he said he was angry, and he said, you wicked and lazy servant. Wicked and lazy. And I look at that, and it looks like God is such a mean-hearted taskmaster. I read in the Message Bible, it says this. The master was angry. And he said this, it's criminal for you to have lived your life so cautiously. And I thought about it, how in our churches we do live our life so cautiously. Come on now, afraid to open our mouth because we don't want to be rejected. Come on now. Some people, some people say, well, Brother Mark, I'm not seeing the miracles I saw 20 years ago. And I asked him, are you giving like you gave 20 years ago? And we learn to live at a cautious level and live our life in a cautious way. And the master said, it's criminal for you to live your life so cautiously. Can I just point out to you that God is not some big, ugly, ogre, taskmaster in the sky. But the reason why he looked at this man who buried his talent in the sand is because he realized that this man did not enjoy his life, that this man did not enter into any joy, that he didn't use any of the God-given creativity that he had been given from God, but he had buried it in the sand and lived his life cautiously and had not enjoyed the victory. But those that 
had invested were doing what God had created because in your life as a believer, you are given God-given ability and you are given God-given talent and God has made you to increase in every area of your life. And if you understand that and you use what you have, God says, I'll give you more. And if you, if you don't discern what you've been given and you don't use it, even what you have will be taken away. And so when you see God the right way, he's not some big ogre taskmaster in the sky trying to, you know, make you work harder, but he wants you to enjoy the fruit of your labors and to have joy in your life because you were made to have results in your life. You are made just like God was made. He is creative. You are creative. Hallelujah. He's on the increase. You're on the increase. Hallelujah. He has much to give away. You have much to give away. Come on now. You were not made to be saved, sanctified, and stuck. You were not made to be, get saved and to become a grumpy, mean, miserable person. But you were made to increase and be fruitful like God. When you look at the seven churches scattered about Asia Minor in the book of Revelations, you'll find out that there are some scathing report cards. Just read the first three chapters. Well, everybody's preaching the joy. Come on. Can we just get over this? Can I just tell you something right now? God loves you. Amen. So just forget that question. So I go to churches. Well, can I just do this and God will still love me? Can I do that and God will love you? You can do whatever you want. God will still love you. You can go to hell and God will still love you. He loved you before you're saved. He'll love you long after you backslide. David said, if I ascend into the heavens, he's with me. If I make my bed in hell, he's still with me. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll always be as close as your faintest cry. But it doesn't mean that you'll please him. And it doesn't mean you're going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Can we just get over those two issues? Yes, he loves you. Yes, he'll abide with you forever. But how close do you want to be to Jesus? Yes, he loves you. Yes, he'll abide with you forever. But what kind of life do you want to live? It's criminal. For you to live your life so cautiously. It is. Well, I'm just cautious. There's a cautious Christians. Just cautious conservative. We go to a conservative Baptocostal church. We're just conservatives. When they say raise their hands, I only raise my hand half, halfway. So I don't offend anybody. And when I dance, I just move one foot. I do half of the Pentecostal shuffle just in case some people. And I never do the charismatic can-can. We live our life so cautiously. Get into church, pastor says, praise the Lord, and we go, hallelujah. It's criminal for you to live your life so cautiously. Can I just say, it's criminal for you to live your life so cautiously. Can I just say right now, it's criminal for you to live your life so cautiously. Hallelujah. If everything, yeah, come on, Mark. Come on now. Mark the perfect man. Psalm 37, 37. Come on now. <laughs> it says, you know, it's, you know, really, come on now. If everything that we have invested is in eternal things, it's criminal that we would be so quiet in church. It's criminal that we wouldn't be able to dance if we want to dance. Come on now. It's criminal that we wouldn't just give
on, you conservative Lloyd ministering people. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. It's criminal that we live our life so cautiously. If everything that we say we're living for is for eternity and everything that we're doing now eternity it's criminal that we would live our lives so cautiously are you with me right now i mean get with the band tomato tomato catch up come on now god wants to take you to new levels and new dimensions and i'm speaking to your heart and your head's going oh, I don't want to. no 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 You know I'm speaking to your heart right now. You know I'm speaking to your heart right now. There are things that God wants to say to our heart that our head is just going to have to get used to. Hello. You still here? You're going to China. And so the seven churches, how was in the seven churches? The seven churches of Asia Minor, they got a stinking report card, you know. You know, there's only one church that got, got by with a pass. One, one and a half. He says two. We'll check it again. But, you know, most of those churches got a couple A minuses and a whole bunch of Ds. Now, listen to me right now. Humility, humility, let me just define humility this way. Humility is looking at ourselves and realizing that we might not have everything perfect in our life. And I, God bring us a spirit of humility so that we can make shifts. That we can allow God to shift our heart and thus our head into higher levels. Are you with me still right now? Hallelujah. That we realize that we don't necessarily know everything, that we don't necessarily have everything right, but God is trying to shift something in our lives. Hallelujah. And so that's why the Holy Spirit has come. And I never understood the phrase that the Holy Spirit's come to comfort the afflicted. But if you feel afflicted tonight, he's coming to comfort you. And if you feel uh, uh, you need comforting, he's come to comfort you. Praise God. But I'll tell you something. Sometimes the Holy Ghost does come to afflict the comfortable. But sometimes we just get comfortable in our, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to us and saying, it's criminal to live your life so cautiously. Come on, how many think, you know, that may be right. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Maybe we need to make a little shift. Maybe we need to make some little adjustments. Maybe we need to follow our heart and let our head catch up. Maybe we have to walk through the eyes of faith until we see it with the eyes of our head. But somehow, we need to understand that God's wanting to take us somewhere. Somebody say, somewhere. somewhere. See, the truth is, you if you see God wrong, which this guy saw God wrong, if you see God wrong, it's not that you will do wrong. It's that if you see God wrong, you won't do wrong. You'll just do nothing. And I found out that in churches, there's all kinds of people who have wrong attitudes to wrong, wrong things. And because they got the wrong, they see God wrong. They don't, it's not that they do wrong. They just don't do anything. Come on now, come on. Let me just show you. For example, if you see prayer wrong, I've never seen anybody, Pastor John, I've never seen anybody with a, a demented or crazy idea or, you know, really bizarre doctrine of prayer who spent hours in prayer. That's 
Because if you don't see prayer right, you just, it's not that you'll pray wrong, you just won't pray. Are you still with me right now? You know, and then, you know, healing. I've never seen anybody, you know, who saw healing wrong ever pray for healing. Because if you think that God is making you sick, then why would you pray to be healed? If you think that God is, you know, blessing you, trying to teach you something, then why would you pray for healing? It's not that you'll, you'll pray for healing wrong. You just won't pray for healing. You know, when Jesus walked on the earth, nobody, somebody, you know, I can never saw Jesus, anybody come up to Jesus and, and, and say, Jesus, would you heal me? And Jesus said, oh, wait a second. No, God's trying to teach you a lesson, so you just learn to live with that. Every once did he say that. But if you see healing wrong, it's not that you'll pray, you, you'll pray healing wrong, you just won't pray. Come on now. If you see church wrong, and I've been across Canada enough to know in, in some of my places where I go, and, and there's some places where I just use buildings, and the church might be very small, but I can pack out the church because people will come from miles around. And I start to talk to them, and I begin to discover that some people see church wrong. I had one lady speak to me last week, a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to tell you where it was, but a couple weeks ago, she said to me, I said, do you go to church regularly? She said, yes, I drive all the way to the next province. I said, well, that's a big commitment to make that commitment every week. She said, yeah, church is once every third, third week. I said, so if you miss one Sunday, then that means you don't go for a whole six. I said, aren't you sweet? I looked her right in the eye and I said, you just don't understand church, do you? Because if you don't understand church attendance right, it's not that you'll go to church wrong. You just won't go. Are you with me right now? And there's all kinds of believers in this land of Canada that somehow got the idea that they all by themselves are the church, all by themselves, they are the body of Christ, and all by themselves, they're going to reach the world. But God has ordained the local church. Come on now. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So if you see church wrong, it's not that you'll go to church wrong. You just won't go. And then I had Billy Bob come up to me. Hey, pastor. I was, and I can say this, like I'm not pastoring now and you're not my church, but I can say this. As an evangelist, visiting evangelist, I can say this. Uh, Billy Bob come up to me and Billy Bob says, hey, pastor, I was looking on the internet and I'm nearly almost a theologian now. But I discovered that tithing is in the old covenant. And I know where they're getting at. What they're really saying is, you know, and he could look at me and say, Billy Bob look at me and say, and I just kind of feel like we just got to get out of that old covenant. And I look at him and say, great, praise God. I was waiting for you to say that. In the new covenant, they sold all they had and they laid at the apostles' feet. So hand over your paycheck. never any, seen anybody that sees giving wrong that wants to give more. And I've never had anybody that say tithing's in the old covenant ever say that pastor tithing the old, old covenant thing and I'm not going to give 10% anymore but I'm going to start giving 30 or 40 or 50%. Come on now! Because you find out when they start arguing against giving what they're actually saying is my heart isn't in the things of God. 
And I've watched over the years in churches that I've visited, and I could name names of people that were leadership in churches, and I know their names. I can think of one name right now in a city not very far from here where he was in leadership, and all of a sudden he got in the idea that tithing's not a New Testament thing. Now, a few years later, his wife and his kids come off the church, and he sits at home doing nothing. His heart's far away from God. But it was obvious, obvious when he just started seeing God wrong and started seeing giving wrong and started seeing church church wrong. When you see things wrong, it's not that you'll do things wrong. You just won't do anything. And the whole tact of the enemy is in every believer's life is to cripple you, immobilize you, and get you to bury your talent in the sand. Are you with me right now? Hallelujah. The good preaching, brother Mark. Good preaching, brother Mark. Hallelujah. Don't shout me down because I'm telling you the truth. But hear me. Come on now. Hear, hear the truth of the Lord tonight. Yes. Hallelujah. And so really the whole tactic of the enemy is, you see, it wasn't that he invested wrong. He just didn't invest. And I'm concerned about people in churches. They come and God has given talents and abilities in their life. And they sit there and watch the pastor invest his talents and pour out his goods. Are you with me? Yeah. And they fail to invest in their own lives. And I'm telling you right now, I've watched people excel in the house of God, and I've actually watched people sit under anointed preaching, anointed teaching, and not do anything with the investment that's been made in their life, and they failed to acknowledge what God had given them, and even what they had was taken away. It's criminal for us to live our life. So cautiously, are you still with me? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on now. And so, listen to me. You know, and then I talk, everybody say paralyzed. Paralyzed. What the devil wants to do is paralyze you, put you in a position of atrophy, put you in a position of mediocrity, put you in a position of complacency. Can I, uh, it bothers me because I go to churches where I see paralyzed believers and they hide under the guise of being wise. They hide under the guise of being, of being uh, good stewards. But can I tell you something? When God speaks to you, you don't necessarily need 27 words of prophecy or words of exhortation to, to, to confirm what God's already said to you. Now, I'm not against prophecy, and I'm not throwing prophecy under the bus, and I'm not throwing exhortation under the bus. But you need to understand that most of the time when God gave words of prophecy or words of exhortation to people, it was usually to people who had already started doing what they were called to do, and God came alongside of them with somebody to encourage them and to lift them up. And some of you have already heard a word from God. And it's criminal for you to live your life so cautiously. Come on now. 27 words from God. 27, thus saith the Lord. No, when God gave a, it's not by, I mean, as a good old Pentecostal. I mean, I grew up in a word, faith, Pentecostal church. But every time the church got dull and it seemed like everybody was getting quiet, the preacher would just get up saying, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And everybody gets up and starts shouting, hallelujah. And they sit down and fall asleep again. 
And somehow we've got that scripture thinking that that's all God and he's going to do everything and we're just going to sit on the can, can all we can get. Come on now, get all we can, sit on the can, can all we get. I don't know. It goes the other way around. You know, get all we can. Can't all we get and sit on the can. Come on now. And uh, yeah, and so, but the, the deal is simply this, that that word is not a word of inactivity. That was a word to Zerubbabel. Because Zerubbabel was trying to build the temple and it was 12 years laboring, hard labor. And Zechariah, the, the, the mighty man of God said, it's not by your might and it's not your, by your power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And what did Zerubbabel do? Did he go and sit down and say, move, Lord Jesus, move. No, the prophet went on and said, he said, the man who laid the foundation is also the man who's going to put the capstone on. So get going. Come on now. I'm just encouraging you. I'm with you and I'm for you. And it's not by your might, although you're going to work. And it's not by your power, although you're going to use some. Hallelujah. But it's by my spirit. Some of you have already received a word from God. And you don't need 27 words of confirmations. I'm talking about some simple things in your life. Should I witness or shouldn't I witness? I think God's like, you know, speaking to me, maybe that he's called me to witness. You don't need 27 words of prophecy and exhortation. Can I tell you right now, to need 27 words of prophecy and exhortation may not be wisdom. It might just be timidity. To need 27 words of exhortation may not be faith. It might just be fear. Fear is the greatest immobilizer. Fear is the greatest paralyzer. Are you with me right now? Are you still with me? Are you still understanding? I'm almost done, but I want you to get this. Come on now. Somebody say, ah, hallelujah, I want to receive this. Praise God. So you're going to come to a place where we just realize that God is speaking to us. And there are some things that God has already told us to do. If we start doing the things that God told us to do. Some of you are waiting for some big high commission. But if you start doing what God told you to do, God will start helping you to do some things you can't do. Some of us want this great anointing. I mean, I love the story about the man who Jesus went up to. And he was crippled in his hand. And Jesus went up to him and said, stand on your feet. And I thought everybody would look around and say, well, what did God say? Would Jesus say to that guy, stand on your feet? Didn't he know his legs worked? I think Jesus knew the man's legs worked. He was just trying to get the guy to see whether he'd do what he asked him to do. And the guy stood on his feet. And then Jesus gave another command, stretch forth your arm. And some of us want to be in arm-stretching ministries, but we don't want to do what we can do. Come on. When Jesus said, stand on your feet, and you got feet, you ought to stand on your feet. And you don't need 27 words of confirmation to do it. Come on now. It's criminal for us to live our life so cautiously. I think I'm hearing God. I've only been saved for 45 years. I think God said something to me. My sheep know my voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not hearken to. Come on, for God's sake, for your sake, for the church's sake, for the kingdom's sake. Do something. Don't live your life so cautiously. Trust You know, sometimes you're going to have to teach your heart to catch up with your head. Hallelujah. Come on now and go. And in your going and in your giving and in your doing, believe that God. Come on now. You know what's something? Jesus never or the master never told those two stewards what to invest in. He never said, okay, here's 5,000. And by the way, here's a little stock tip. Invest in apple, not rim. (laughs) 
No stock tips. No investments. Can I tell you why? It's because the God of all creativity loves you and respects you and has confidence in you and has confidence in the grace and the gifting that he's placed in your life and has confidence in the creativity and knows that it will bring joy to your life as you start using the gifts that God's given you. He said, here's 5,000. I hope that you'll make more of it when I return. Can you just go and in your going, believe that he'll bless you because you're making an effort? That's right. You know, much of our relationship with God, it's not ritual like I preached last night. It is relationship. Come on now. If your wife, come on, guys, if your wife called you at 830 in the morning, you get up in the morning at 830, your wife comes up and says, it's 830. Do you have something to say to me? (laughs) Can you wash my underwear? (laughs) Oh, oh, I love you. Thank you, honey. I'll call you at 10.30. (laughs) Go to work, 10.30. Hi, honey. Did you forget something? Uh, Did I leave the blow dryer on? Oh, I love you. And you come home at night, and she looks at you and says, okay, tilt your head this way, pucker up, and kiss. How many know that wouldn't be authentic? That would be ritual. And God has not called us into a ritual. He's called us into a relationship. And you value him and he values you. And he's not some big ogre in the sky. He actually gets joy out of seeing your creativity and your expression of love and the grace that he's placed in your life as you start to do what is in your hands and use your talents and your ability. Are you with me right now? Hallelujah. Good message, Brother Mark. And so the, and come on now, and so, and so, and so the reason why this guy buried his, his talent in the sand was the biggest reason was he said, I was afraid. Yes. Yes. And I'll tell you something, you can confess all you want, but fear needs to be dealt with. You can say, I don't have the spirit of fear, and God's not giving me a spirit of love, power, and sound mind. But listen, you can confess that, but I'll tell you something. The root cause and the core in our churches has to be dealt with because some of you are living a criminal life too cautiously because you're full of fear. And fear is the biggest immobilizer. It'll keep you from living a successful, prosperous, and fulfilled life. It'll keep you from moving to a new level. Come on now. Hallelujah. He said, I feared. And so can I tell you what it looks like, Pastor? I know nobody's like this in your church. But in churches, other churches, in some other province, it can't be in Saskatchewan here or Alberta. And over in British Columbia, but it looks like this in churches, what it looks like is laziness and complacency and mediocrity and like they could care less. And can I tell you, it's actually fear that's gripped their very heart. And when Jesus or the master said to the steward, you lazy servant, what he was really saying is, you lazy servant! <laughs> Thought I'd just give you some revelation on that. <laughs> it looks like people don't care. 
It looks like people aren't interested. It looks like people don't really, don't really get it. But what happens is this spirit of fear gets on people and they just don't want to go any farther. They just want to get it to heaven. They just want to come to church every once in a while, put their money in the bank, in, the, in, in their ties so that they keep their tickets. Come on now. And it looks like laziness, complacency, mediocrity. I could care less. But can I tell you that laziness in itself is not the cause of laziness. It's true. It's true. The cause of laziness is found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22 and 26, where we see the slothful servant, the slothful, the slothful person, we see that slothfulness yells out and says, I can't go outside. There's a lion in the street. Well, there ain't no lion in the street, but keep on believing that so you can hang on to your remote control and eat your Cheetos <laughs> and live your life so cautiously that you waste away all the God-given gifts and all the God-given abilities and all the God-given talent and all the joy that God wants to place in your heart from seeing fruit and seeing life's change. Just keep on believing the lie. Just keep on being bound by fear. There It's okay, Brother Mark. I'll just hang on to my remote control if you don't mind, please. Everybody say fear. fear. I believe the Spirit of the Lord had me here tonight to break off hindering spirits of fear that are holding you back and keeping you mediocre and keeping you complacent. Are you still with me right now? I'm here to tell you any wrong view of God will not cause you to produce a, a wrong. It just won't cause you to produce. Hallelujah. Our heads are going to have to catch up to our hearts. Hallelujah. Our sight is going to have to catch up to our faith. And there comes, and I'm going to read this from my notes. It's such well-written. Hallelujah. From God. Every believer must, in Christ, must take personal responsibility to come up to God's value system and to come alive to what we say we believe till it transforms how we act. Can I read that again? Every believer in Christ must take personal responsibility. Everybody say personal responsibility. To come up to God's value system and to come alive to what we say we believe till it transforms how we act. James says, don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe. Come on now. Show me what you believe until what you say you believe and what you actually believe. I can see what you believe because I see what you're believing is what you're saying. Amen. Come on now. Amen. And there comes a time when our faith has to, our heart, our head has to catch up to our heart and our sight has to catch up with our faith. But we must keep being led by our heart and we must keep living the life of faith. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on now. So I believe that God's a God of miracles. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to keep on praying for miracles. Hallelujah. Amen. And when I don't see miracles happen with my eyes, I'm going to keep on praying them for them with my heart. Hallelujah. Come on now. Hallelujah. And when I don't see it happen with my eyes, I'm going to, and it, when I, it's confusing in my mind. I'm going to keep on believing with my heart and I'm going to keep on confessing with my mouth until my faith becomes my sight. Hallelujah. Until what I believe in for comes to pass. Because if every time I 
believe for something, it immediately come to pass. Then I wouldn't have to live by faith. I'd have, I would be living by sight. But he's called us to live by faith and not by sight. But if you keep on believing and trusting God and following your heart and using your faith, hallelujah, your head will catch up and so will your eyes, hallelujah. And there's coming a day when what you see in by the eye of faith, you'll see with your eye in the natural, hallelujah. And what you feel in your heart, you'll understand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Keep on believing. Hallelujah. Keep on confessing. Keep on praying. Keep on pressing in. Come on now. Keep on striking the rock. Keep on speaking to the mountain. Come on now. Keep on calling your sons and daughters in. Keep on believing that God is who he said he is. Hallelujah. That he's not a man that he should lie. That he still saves and he still delivers and he still heals and he still transforms lives and he still calls back the prodigals and he still lifts up those that are bowed down and he still opens the eyes of the blind. Hallelujah. Keep on believing. Keep on pressing in. Don't let fear get a hold of your heart. Don't let fear immobilize you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory. A.W. Tozer said this and I'm done in the next two minutes. A.W. Tozer said A.W. Tozer said this. He said, faith is the unbroken gaze of my soul upon Jesus. Can I just be really, really blunt with you right now? The measure of your faith is not whether that mountain has moved or not moved. That's right. The measure of your faith is not whether your son has come back to the Lord yet or not. But the measure of your faith is your unbroken gaze of your soul upon Jesus. Hallelujah. For Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. Hallelujah. And my eyes are on him. Hallelujah. And there are times when my head is confused, but my heart is still in in heavenly places. Hallelujah. There are times when my natural eye can't see it, but the eye of faith still believes that there is revival coming to Canada. Hallelujah. That Lloyd minister will be saved. Hallelujah. That a spirit of God is going to sweep across this nation hallelujah once again i don't know it in my head it doesn't make sense in my head it doesn't make sense with my eyes but i know it in my heart and i believe it through the eye of faith hallelujah and i keep on speaking hallelujah and i keep on speaking to the mountain and even when that mountain's not moving hallelujah and voices start crying in my head saying you don't have enough faith it's not gonna work for you i keep my eyes on jesus hallelujah because jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith and if I can keep When the mountain has to go, hallelujah. Where my son has to be saved. Where my children have to walk with God. Because my eyes are on Jesus. And when my eyes are on Jesus, my measurement of my faith is not in the movement of mountains. 
But the measurement of my faith is my broken gaze upon Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Let your heart lead your head. Let your faith lead your vision. Come on now. Don't live your life so cautiously. Don't fall into fear. Come on now. And I've seen it all over congregations across Canada. Well, some are rising up in faith. Others are falling back in fear. But I'll tell you right now, turn your eyes upon him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Hallelujah. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Faith pleases the heart of God. Faith pleases the heart of God. Hallelujah. There's times when my head can't understand it. There's times when my eyes can't see it. But the eye of faith and my heart that's full of God has got my eyes on him. Hallelujah. And the mountain has to crumble and problems has to go and the bills have to get paid. And I don't know how with my head and I can't see how with my eyes, but I know there is a God who loves me and rewards me because of my faith. My eyes are on him. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a praise. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Though some may dwell where doubts and fears abound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Hallelujah. I'm going further. I'm going higher. I'm going deeper. I'm going further than I ever expected to go. Hallelujah. My fate is not my destiny. My destiny is my choice. Hallelujah. And I choose to keep my heart and keep my eyes upon Jesus. Hallelujah. The author, the finisher of my faith. Hallelujah. I'm pressing towards the mark. The high calling in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. Hallelujah. I've done my best to preach this message. Hallelujah. Did you get something out of it? Hallelujah. Lord, touch lives tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I don't want to stay where I'm at. I don't want fear to grip my heart. I don't want to bury my talents in the sand. I don't want to be immobilized by fear and look like I'm lazy and apathetical and uninterested. But I keep my eyes on you, Lord. I keep my heart right in the midst of the storm. My head will catch up. I keep my eyes on the prize. My physical eyes will see it. My eyes on you. My trust is in you. My hope is in you. My life is in you. God, help us. Shift us. Shift us out of fear and into faith. Shift us out of fear into victory. Shift us out of stagnation into productivity. Shift us out of just thinking we're going to arrive in heaven and get there. Shift us till we desire and we long 
to hear the words well done, good and faithful. Bring us up higher tonight. Bring us up higher tonight. Bring us up higher tonight. Raise our value system. May it be distinct, separate, different than the world. For your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Oh, God. Lord, I thank you for power and authority that you've given me tonight. To break spirits of fear. And listen to me, I know that this is a word faith church. And I understand the concept of confession. And I get it. But listen to me right now. If fear is holding you back in your giving, then you're burying your talents in the sand. And if fear is holding you back in your commitment to a local church, then you're not just seeing God right And if fear is holding you back from getting committed to helping and being involved, then you're just not seeing God properly. And if fear is holding you back from giving your all, then you're not just understanding God properly. He wants you to enjoy this journey. He wants you to see joy. For even the master said, he said, you've been faithful in five. I'll give you more. You've got 10. Now enter into my joy. There's joy in seeing fruit. There's joy in being involved. There's joy in being a part. There's joy in being committed. There's joy in being part of the body. There's joy in being part of the team. There's joy in giving your all. There's joy in running towards the prize. There's joy in racing towards the crown. There's joy in pressing towards the mark. Enter into my joy. Tonight I just feel that if you're here in this room tonight and you got any kind of fear on your life, I don't know what it is, but you got fear on your life, I feel like I have authority from God tonight to break that spirit of fear over you because that fear is immobilizing you. That fear is crippling you. That fear is keeping you from being productive. That fear is keeping you from getting involved. That fear is crippling you in multitude of ways. And it's not only crippling you, it's crippling those around you. And I want to break it off you. So if you're here tonight and you got any kind of fear on your life right now, I want you to get out of your chair and come stand right in front of me right now. Come quickly. Come now, 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 now. The Holy Ghost is speaking.